0: Today's scripture reading is taken from Psalms, chapter 78, verses 1 through 8. Listen to the word of the Lord. Give ear, O my people, to my teachings. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known, that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation." the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might, and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments." and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. The word of the Lord. Our guest speaker today is Pastor Dave Park from Mosaic Church in Norwood, New Jersey. Pastor Dave grew up outside of Philadelphia and received his call to ministry while on the short-term mission field in China. He received his master's from Westminster Theological Seminary and his doctorate of ministry from Missio Seminary. In addition to serving at Mosaic Church, he enjoys his post as adjunct uh, professor at Missio Seminary and as an advisor to doctoral students in the Doctor of Ministry program. Please welcome Pastor Dave Park.
1: Hello, everyone. Um, it's an honor to be here with you. That was a very formal introduction, but I have a lot of old friends here, so it's good seeing everybody. And uh, it's really an honor for me to, to be here to bring you God's word today, Graceway, uh from when I was a college student, has always been a light in this area, and it's really um, an honor. It, it's, it was, it's almost unthinkable for me. Uh, I still, when I come back to Rutgers, think of myself as a college student, and to be here at a pulpit preaching uh, to you, and really the, the joy of preaching to old friends, um, for some of you, this is really an honor. Thank you for, for having me. Today, uh, I just want to get right into it, because there's a lot that I do want to to say from Psalm 78, uh, because today I want to be talking a little bit about passing on the faith to our children, passing on the faith to the next generation, a really important topic that I'm sure that all of us think about. Uh, When the Barna Group did research on how parents felt about passing on their faith to the next generation, there was one word that kind of encapsulated how everyone felt, and that one word was concerned. (laughs) So we're all really worried. We're all really worried about faith to the next generation. And I found that as I talked to parents at my church um, and also youth group pastors and others, that there is a lot of concern. And that makes us easy targets. And that makes us easy targets for guilt. That makes us easy targets for Satan to attack us and the evil one and to shame us for the way that we're raising our kids. And so uh, moms and dads, today we really need to couch our hearts in Scripture, and 78, uh, the 78th Psalm is going to help us to do that. If you're here and you're not a mom and dad, I just want to let you know that this sermon is also for you. When you look at Psalm 78, he says that the importance of passing the faith to their generation is on his heart. So it's not just for those who um, are moms and dads, but it's all for all of us who are here. Um, And also, if you are still a young adult, if you're a student, this sermon is also for you. But when you look at Psalm 78, I see three things that are really important for us to pass on to the next generation. And they are passing on the truth of God, the wisdom of God, and also the wonder of God. These are three things that I think are crucial uh, for us to pass on to the next generation we need to tell them about the truths of god but we also need to give it to them in a way that is useful to them that's when truth becomes wisdom and then finally none of it's going to really matter unless we're able to pass it to them with wonder the wonder of god no strategy really does it for our kids we need to pass on to them the wonder of our lord jesus christ and so can you pray with me one more time as we get into today's word Father, I just, standing in this sanctuary, just feel the honor and privilege of bringing the word of God here. Father, we're just people. And so we can't make this word living and active, but you can. By the spirit, you can work. By the spirit, you can speak. And so, Father, that's exactly what we want. We just, all of us, bow our hearts and minds and say we have no interest in just hearing from a person. We only have an interest in getting up early on a Sunday morning, coming to hear the words of the true and living God. And so we invite you and wait on you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So uh, when I look at Psalm 78, the first thing that I see is there's there's this great importance on passing on the truths of God. When you read verse 1 with me again, it says this, give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, things that we, adults, that we have heard and known, that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. I will open my mouth and tell the next generation about the truths of God. The importance of passing on the truth of God as we pass on the faith. Now, as we begin, I think it's kind of important for us to ask the question, is it even possible to pass on faith to our kids? Um, If you grew up in youth group or if you have kids in youth group, you know that in youth group, a lot of what the youth group pastors and teachers say is that it doesn't matter if mom and dad are believers, it doesn't matter if mom and dad are pastors or elders, we really do need you to come to a living relationship with Jesus, you and Jesus, Right, Uh, In and of yourself, you need to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And I I think that's 100% true. I think that each young person, each student needs to actually come to faith in Jesus Christ on their own. And yet, when you look at, especially the Old Testament, you can't get away from this truth that keeps coming at you. Fathers, give your faith to your children. Over and over you get that. Fathers, mothers, pass the faith to your children. Yes, they need to come to know God in and of themselves, but you can't get away from this call that parents are called to transmit their faith to their children, that there's a transmissibility to our faith, and that's something that we really need to pay attention to. Read verse 5 with me. He says it again. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to teach. To their children, It's designed to be passed on, but it's not only designed to be passed on. Our faith is commanded to be passed on. As parents, this is something that we need to incline. He says, incline your ear to, incline your heart to me. Now, in a passage that um, addresses passing the faith to the next generation, you would think that he's talking to the kids. Kids listen. Kids learn, but he's not. He's talking to the adults. Adults, mothers and fathers, incline your ear to the Lord because he is commanding you to pass the faith to the next generation. There is a real transmissibility to our faith that we need to take seriously and to hear that from the Lord. Now, how does that exactly work? They need to come to faith on their own, but we need to pass on the faith. How does that cohere? I'm not exactly sure. I think there's a real mystery to that, right? I think there's a real mystery to our ability to transmit the faith, but they have the ability to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the bulk of the sermon has to do with how do we do that? How do we do that? Um, In preparing for this sermon, I read a bunch of longitudinal studies that uh, followed children from uh, middle school to youth group onto college and into young adulthood. And they asked the question, why do some kids hang on to their faith into adulthood and why some kids don't? Uh, They're really interesting studies. um, And I, I wanna share some of those with you. I also talked to some youth pastors in Bergen County where where we are, and I talked to some parents with adult children, children who um, are past the college age, and talked to them about, you know, what did you do, what did you see? But I first want to start off by sharing with you some of the things that I learned in the longitudinal studies that I thought were interesting when we think about passing the faith to our children. Uh, First of all, three things that don't matter when it comes to passing the faith to the children, three things that don't seem to really have an effect. The first thing is it doesn't seem to matter what they do after college. Uh, It doesn't seem to matter, I mean, after high school. It doesn't seem to matter if they go to college or go to the military or get a job straight out of high school. It doesn't really seem to have an effect. The percentage of young people who maintain their faith and thrive in their faith into their young adulthood is the same across America, one-third. One in three, it's interesting that throughout the various different cultural expressions, the various different immigrant manifestations of the church, that it's the same. One in three, those who are in the church will keep their faith into young adulthood. And it doesn't seem to matter whether they go to the military, college, or get a job. One in three, it's not very good. Especially when you think about your own children. If you think about the fact that some parents here may have three kids and if you're here and you're a child and if you're a student in this room I just want to say to you do not become a statistic the Lord Jesus Christ is worth you holding on to him into your college and adult years I came to faith right here at Rutgers in a real way and I want to tell you now as an adult it is worth you hanging on to your faith That he is worthy of your life, time, and praise. So it doesn't seem to matter um, what they do after high school. But the second thing that doesn't seem to matter is it doesn't seem to matter whether they come from a big church with a lot of resources or a small church with a tiny little youth group. It's still the same, one in three. So a lot of the things that we as a church tend to focus on, and sometimes as small churches, um, they have insecurities maybe. And as big churches, they have overconfidence in their resources, actually, at the end of the day, it doesn't really seem to make a difference, one in three. And the last thing that doesn't seem to make a difference is the cultural and linguistic barriers between parent and child. Many of us who came from an immigrant context, we felt insecure about the fact that parents can't talk to their children in a way that we would like them to. And we felt that that would have a major impact on their ability to hang on to their faith, but actually studies show that that doesn't seem to matter as much, one in three. And so those are the three things that, according to the studies, doesn't really seem to matter. And so what does matter in our transmitting our faith to our children? Well, I think the first thing that we should say is that our children can come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ whether or not their parents believe in him. I was the first Christian in my family. My entire family was atheist. I was the first one to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he saved me. Out of the dark pit. And then I saw him save my parents, my brother, and others. I think that's the first thing to say that the Lord is living and active in our children, with or without us. And yet, when you look at the studies, it seems to be very clear that there is a connection between the way that mom and dad do faith and the ability for those children to hang on to their faith into the adulthood. There's, there's a real connection there. And so I want to share with you a couple of the findings that I found um, looking at these studies. The first thing that you see is that parents who go to church consistently and bring their kids to church, that does have a positive impact on their kids, but it's not as big as you would think. The impact is there, but it's not as much as you would think. Just bringing them to church, it doesn't seem to move the needle as much as you would think. Where you see the big jump is when mom and dad serve the church hard. When they serve the church, and particularly when they serve the youth ministries with consistency, you see that that actually moves the needle uh, a fair bit. The other thing that seems to help our children maintain their faith, um, just according to the surveys, is how much the moms and dads enjoy church. That's to say this, that those who consistently go to church and yet do not enjoy church Um, actually seem to have a negative impact on their kids' faith. But the people who go to church consistently, bring their kids, and enjoy the church, love the life in the community of Christ, that seems to have a positive impact on the ability of our children to hang on to the faith. And that makes sense, doesn't it? It makes sense. That when we love the church, and the church is a place where our family loves to be, And we enjoy the community and the relationships that we have together. That's what they see growing up, and that has a a net positive effect on the children. Now, on the other side, there's this really interesting group of people who consistently come to church and then have a negative impact on their kids' faith. And it's the people who come to church consistently and then do not enjoy church at all. These are, I mean, as an adult, why would you do that in the first place? But there are apparently adults in these surveys that consistently come to church and consistently bring their kids to church but don't actually enjoy church all that much. And then there are those who go home and speak negatively about the church and its leaders. When that happens, that seems to have a real negative effect on the ability of our children to hang on to the faith into adulthood. When moms and dads go to church all the time And go home and speak negatively about the church. It makes sense, doesn't it? That the kids would grow up and say, mom and dad don't want to go. Mom and dad don't seem to enjoy it. Bad things happen to the church. Why should I keep going? Those are some of the findings that I found. So some things make a difference. And consistent attendance to church, it makes a difference, but not maybe as much as you would think. It's all about how we do church. It seems to make a difference to our children. Now, whether you care about these statistical surveys or not, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have to hear the command from Scripture. Read verse 5 with me one more time. Whether you care about surveys, whether you care about the Barna Group, whether you care about any of these things, this is what the Lord Jesus says to you. He established a testimony in Jacob. He has given to you the truths of God. He appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to our children. And when you go to Deuteronomy, you see just how comprehensive it is, how we are to actually do this, to teach our children. And look at how comprehensive this is in Deuteronomy 11. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, talking to them when you are sitting in your house, when you are walking by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. The way I receive that is you have to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ with your children. You have to talk to them about it when they wake up in the morning, when you walk them to school, when you put them down to bed. When you rise, you have to pray. You have to constantly put it before them in a way that they can understand. It's so comprehensive. It's almost saying like we have to surround our kids with the teaching of the word. That's the call, moms and dads. That's our call together for our children. Now, Asaph says something very interesting in um, Psalm 78, something that kind of caught my attention. In Psalm 78, he says, we will not hide them from our children. Now, I thought about that when I was preparing for the sermon, and I thought, why would we ever hide the truths of God from our kids? I mean, we love our kids. We want to give them everything, right? We want to give our kids everything and the best of everything. Why would we hide from our kids, something that's good for them, especially from the Lord. I thought about that. And I realized we do. We do hide them from our children. And the reason we hide them from our children is because we want to give them everything. And we want to give them the best of everything. And because we want to give them everything and the best of everything, what ends up happening is God becomes one of the things that we want to give them. And we end up hiding who he truly is. You see, I don't know about uh, your context, but where we come from in Bergen County, uh, children are such so much the focus of life, and I'm sure that it's probably the same um, here. And because we want to give our kids everything, we want them to be so well-rounded and have every opportunity and advantage in life, we fill their schedule with everything, and oftentimes what we do is we make God just one of the things that are important to them. My brothers and sisters, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you know this, that when you force God into a corner, when you force God into a section of your life, God does not behave. Because it defies the very definition of who he is. When you force God just to be a segment of your life, and not the umbrella over which why you do everything in your life, when you force God into a corner, he never behaves. You see, oftentimes we pack our kids' schedules with so many things that all of those things have equal importance over their life, and God is one of those things. When we do that, because we want to give them everything, we hide God from them. We don't give them God, we give them religion. And that's what happens when you put God in a corner. God doesn't fit in corners. God doesn't fit into just something that you do in your schedule. He is the author of life. He is your king and maker. When you try to force God into a corner, the only thing that fits in there is religion, routines and obligations. And what ends up happening is our kids, as they grow older, look at that corner and say, I don't need this anymore. They throw it away. Two and three, two children out of three, end up throwing away routines and obligations over the course of their life. I think that's one of the ways that we hide the Lord from them. I had a parent uh, come up to me um, at my church, and their child, uh, their son, adult son, wanted to go into ministry. And uh, she came up to me and she said, You know, this is really great. Uh, I'm really glad, you know, that he wants to go into ministry, really happy he loves God. But essentially, she said to me, Is there a way you could talk him out of it? <laughs> uh, but the way she put it was uh, she didn't exactly say it like that, but this is essentially what she was saying. But she said, "There's so much to this life that I want him to experience." There's so many things in this world that I want him to know and, and to be able to experience. If he just goes into the ministry and he's all about this, he's not going to be equipped for the rest of his life. And he's not going to be able to be a well-rounded person. And she said, is there a way, these were her words, is there a way that you could scale back God in his life? And I said, what? She said, could you help him scale back God in his life? And I thought, how would I even do that? How would I even do that? Scale back God in his life? As a Christian, it sounds crazy, right? As those who know and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who has experienced God in our lives, it sounds nuts. But as a mom and as a dad, we know exactly what they're saying. And all of us parents resonate with that. I knew exactly what she was saying. We want everything for our children. We want the best for our children. But brothers and sisters, when we treat God that way in our lives and in the lives of our children, we end up giving them religion and they discard it when they have the chance. Asaph says, I will not hide the truths of God from my children. We have to think about how we're doing this. Jesus said, let the children come to me. Don't hinder them. Don't hinder them. Let them come to me fully. It's our calling to pass on the actual truths of God and to give them God fully. But the second thing is we're not just called in Psalm 78 to give them the truths of God, but we have to give it to them in a way that is usable for their lives. We have to pass on truth, not just as truth, but as wisdom and the kind of wisdom that they can set their life on. Read verse 7 with me. This is where he says it. This is the purpose statement. It says, so that, here's the purpose. This is why we're passing on the truths to them. So that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. He says, I want to, and we are called to, pass on God to our children in a way that they can set their hope in God. Now, that word hope is an interesting Hebrew word. It's the Hebrew word kasal. And it's not the word you would normally use to say the word hope. Uh, It's a funny little word that has three funny definitions to it. The word kasal, the word hope there. And the first definition for kasal is fat or chubby, uh, you know, kind of flabby, okay? And then the second meaning uh, for kasal is loins or legs, okay? And then the last definition of kasal is foolishness, foolishness. Now, that's a strange little word, right? That means fat, flabby, chubby, legs and loins, and then foolishness all at once. Now, that's obviously, you wouldn't use that word for hope um, if you were translating it, but Asaph sees something here that I would love for all of us to see. He says, I look at the next generation. And if you think about this and you marinate on this word, it makes sense. He looks at the next generation and he sees them spiritually Having fat, little, chubby baby legs in an adult world. He says they don't have foundations. They don't have the framework that they need to stand up in this world with God. In a sense, he's saying they're being thrown into an adult world, but they don't have a biblical worldview and a biblical framework that they can actually use to stand up. Have you ever seen a baby try to walk? That's what Asaph sees. When we send our children into the world, we see them with soft, flabby biblical foundations. And oftentimes, we don't know that's what we're giving them because we're not thinking about how we're passing on on these truths to them. I've been reading a lot on Generation Z, uh, which is kind of like middle school and up, like a part of middle school and up. Um, And I've been trying to understand uh, what they... going through, and there's this book by Tim Elmore called Generation Z Unlimited, really interesting book about raising up Generation Z in the faith. And this is what he said. This is something that he said we should consider that we're doing in the church that maybe we don't even realize we are. This is what he says. Uh, The quote goes, unfortunately, many kids are taught the Bible not as the story of reality, but only as disconnected sets of stories. Verses and lessons to be taken randomly at will, distanced from their context and applied to our lives as we see fit. This moral McNugget approach to reading and teaching scripture not only treats the Bible as something less than it is, but fails to provide the framework of who we are according to God. As a result, robust biblical framing truths are reduced to virtual post-it notes that decorate a generation whose identities, morality, and purposes are being shaped by culture, not Christ. You see what he's saying? That oftentimes what we have given to our children in the church are disconnected, disjointed Bible stories. And when we drive home from church, we say, what did you learn today at church? And they say, we learned about uh, Elijah and the prophets. And as long as they could regurgitate the story back to us, we're happy But what Tim Tim Elmore is saying is that oftentimes what they need is for us to go the next step and say, who are the prophets of Baal in middle school for you? We have to make it usable for them. And they're lacking frameworks in an increasingly complex world. Generation Z and my kid's generation, Generation Alpha, they're starting the whole alphabet all over again. (laughs) So it's Generation Alpha after Generation Z. Generation Z and Generation Alpha are being hit with more information than you could possibly imagine. None of us grew up in this kind of generation. And yet they don't have the biblical frameworks to process them. They have 50, 60 disjointed Bible stories that they were taught in Sunday school that they aren't able to piece together in a usable way. In a biblical framework, for a 17-year-old girl to sit with a boy who's showing her counterfeit love, and she does not have the framework for her to understand that all he wants to do is get her in bed. She doesn't have a framework for that. My well, brothers and sisters, we need to see our children the way that Asaf did, and sees that they lack a foundation that they can use for this world, I'm trying to do that with my daughters a little bit. Um, Some of you know that in the state of New Jersey, it's been approved that LGBTQ history will be taught in the schools from first grade and up. And often mixed in with that are concepts of gender fluidity that's being taught in our schools now, starting this fall. I've been trying to prime my, my girls. My girls are really young, so they can only handle so much. Sophia's only three years old, so I've been telling her about the creation of EVE talking to her about how special it is that God created Eve. If you ever read that story, it's like he creates Adam, but then the creation of Eve is this beautiful story. And I need her to know that she is purposed, that she is created, and that her girlness is special. And my daughter loves being a girl. But I want to highlight the fact that you're special as a girl because God has purposed you that way. I need her to know that. With uh, Mia, she's six, about to turn seven this month, and I could do a little bit more with her. And uh, I remember talking to her at Sunday school. She learned the prophets of Baal, that whole story. If you're not familiar with the story, um, Elijah is confronted with the prophets of Baal, and they're doing all sorts of things to get the prophets of Baal to respond. They're cutting themselves, going nuts, And yet the prophets of Baal are silent. And then Elijah comes and he says, what's wrong with your gods? And then he has Yahweh answer in a powerful and mighty way. I asked Mia, Mia, why did the prophets of Baal, why could they not get Baal to answer? And she said, I don't know. (laughs) I said, because, do you think it's because the prophets of Baal were mean? She said, I don't know. And then I said, well, is it because they didn't try hard enough? She said, I don't know. I said, Mia, Baal did not answer. Because it's not that the prophets of Baal were mean people or that they didn't try hard. but It's because Baal is not alive. No matter what they did, no matter how, they, how nice they were, no matter how much they tried, their God was not alive. And she said, okay. And she just walked away. Now, why am I telling that story to Mia? It's Because I'm preempting that question that already came between that conversation and now. Preempting the question when she says, Appa, why, my friends, they are so nice and they work so hard, but why are they not saved? Trying to give her a framework for being able to stand up to her own questions, the questions that your children, no matter how young they think they are, are processing through these things already. Do they have the frameworks? Asaph says, I see chubby baby legs. In a generation who is not able to stand in this world, I will give them the frameworks, the testimonies of Israel so that they can stand. We need to give them these frameworks, brothers and sisters, if we're going to have them thrive in their faith as young adults and college students later on. My church, we have a lot of college students. And young adults or young adult ministry is just getting going. And what I'm seeing is that those who have these frameworks in place are able to stand and grow uh, to a far greater de- degree than to those who just went to church. You see, Paul in Philippians 1, he, he says it this way. He says, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Right? And that's our prayer for our kids, right? that they would love God. And that as they get older, they would love God more and more and more. But this is how he says they'll be able to do it. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. You see, Paul, he sees their love for God being capped if they don't have discernment to approve the things of this world. I don't know if some of you are in college here or in high school, but some of you already feel it, right? College students, high school students, that when you're not able to stand up and able to work through the logic of your faith with people who don't believe, it's hard for you to believe. It's hard for you to love God when you're not able to work through why you love God. It's hard for you to worship God without being able to process through why he's worthy of your worship. Paul says, my prayer is that your love can abound more and more. As your discernment grows, your ability to approve what is excellent grows, I pray that your ability to love God would abound more and more. Moms and dads, we need to help our children with this. Pray for wisdom. And I know that this is intimidating when you hear that. And again, as I said at the beginning of the sermon, parents are easy targets because we are already concerned. But I just want to encourage you that when we pray, moms and dads, when we parent with prayer that God answers and he provides you with the wisdom that you need to help to lead your children to abounding love for the Lord Jesus Christ. The book of James, James says, if you don't have wisdom, it's okay. Ask God and he will give you wisdom. Because he's your father. He's the father of heavenly lights, in in whom there's no variation and change. He's always for you, not against you. There's no variation and change. Just because you're 45, you don't ask for wisdom. He says, ask for wisdom if you don't have wisdom. Moms and dads, parent with prayer. And the Lord will provide because he's your dad. Secondly, I want to give you a podcast recommendation. Because uh, at my church I give book recommendations all the time and nobody reads them. And so I'm going to start giving podcast recommendations because people don't really listen to, to, to me when I give them book recommendations. And so a podcast recommendation I want to give you is a podcast called Let's Parent on Purpose. Let's Parent on Purpose with Jay Holland. It's a great little podcast and it covers uh, parenting from if you have adult children and you're really praying for your adult children to come back to the faith to if you have little kids like me. Um, to, if you have teenagers, if you have boys and girls, it's a really great podcast. It's called Let's Parent on Purpose. It's a great thing to listen to on your drives. And it, it also just gets your prayers going more than anything else for your kids. Now, before I move on to the last thing, I just want to say a word to the non-parents who are in this room. Some people here are not parents and yet are adults. And I just want to say to you, you are so, so crucial to helping parents to raise up children in the faith. Again, Asaph says, I will tell it to their children. This psalm is more broadly about the the work of raising up the next generation in the faith, and it's not just for parents. It's for all of us to do together for the sake of Christ. As I was going through these longitudinal studies, there's this theme that came up over and over again that I thought was really interesting, and it's this idea of satellite adults. Satellite adults. And satellite adults are these uh, older brothers and sisters in the life of young people who they could talk to about things. Think about it. When you were 16 years old, did you want to run to your dad for everything that you were going through? No, right? This concept of satellite parents was very crucial. Um, to the faith of these young people uh, maintaining and thriving their faith into young adulthood. In fact, there's a rule, I call it the rule of three that I discovered in these studies. And the rule of three is this. When a young person has three satellite adults in their life that they could talk to, they are three times more likely to thrive in the faith as adults. When they have three Satellite adults in their life that they could talk to about the faith and the issues that they're going through, they are three times more likely to thrive in the faith as adults. That's how crucial you are. If you're a Graceway member and you're not a parent, look at all these children. You know These parents, we need you to help us. You are crucial to this. We will raise up the next generation together as a family of faith. Lastly, I'll close with this. Uh, brothers and sisters, and none of this is going to matter if it just remains strategy. None of this is going to matter if we don't learn to pass on the wonder of God to our children. The truths of God, the wisdom of that truth, cannot be operational without the wonder of worship. You know, our kids are super observant you know, Sophia, who's three, I'm glad you guys have a kid's ministry. I don't have to talk about them in front of them. But if I speak to my wife in a little bit of a different tone of voice, she will rush in the room and say, Appa, you're being mean to Oma." Uh, they're so observant. And I'm like, how did you even hear us from over there? Right? But our kids are super observant. That's what I learned. <laughs> I learned this interesting thing about um, kids. That kids, even though they don't look like they're paying attention, they are paying attention. And adults, even though they look like they're paying attention, they're not really paying attention. <laughs> I thought that, that was so true, um, as I kind of learned as a preacher. Um, that the kids are like this, but they're actually listening to you the whole time, and the adults are staring at you, but they're thinking, what should we do after this? Uh, but the, the kids are so observant. And especially this week, as I talked to the youth group pastors... And talk to them about the experience of their children um, that they pastor in high school. The impact of this is so, so important. You know, parents, if we have lost our wonder of God, honestly, there's very little that we could do to help our kids. If we lost our wonder of God, I'm not talking about going to church not talking about church attendance. If we lost our wonder of God, there's very little that we could do to help our children. They know. If they don't know, they're gonna know. They will know soon. They will know that they took me to church when I was little, but when I hit junior year in high school, I found out that their true wonder was not God, but it was my success. It was my SAT scores. It was where I went to college. They prayed for me before I went to bed, but I found out later on that really their wonder for me was youth sports. They found out deep down that the food on the table for their parents was much more important than the prayer over the table. This I've, I've talked to youth parents um, over and over um, about this at our church. During the pandemic, I heard this story where there was a, a couple that used to do a lot of things, you know, with their kids at home, pray at home with their kids. And then the kid overheard his parents fighting um, in their room. And the mom said something like, hey, let's just go and let's pray. And uh, we'll come back and we'll finish this discussion because it's time for us to pray. And he overheard his dad's, because their, their business was having such a hard time during the pandemic and they eventually closed their business and the kid overheard his dad say, who has time for prayer at a time like this? And that, according to our high school youth pastor, for that kid, he was in such a vulnerable place, and it shattered his belief that his parents really loved God. They're going to find out. If we lose our wonder for God, there's very little we can do But parents, we need to capture our wonder for God again. We need to recapture our wonder in God again. No matter what you felt throughout the sermon, if you felt guilt and anxiety and fear, none of those things are going to help you if you don't recapture the wonder of God again. But once you do, moms and dads, once we recapture the true wonder of God in our worship and in our hearts, they will know and they will find out that you do in your heart truly treasure Christ. I learned in seminary, to my um, discouragement, that no matter how many sermons you preach to your church, they're probably not gonna remember most of it. And I remember hearing that for the first time in seminary, like, oh, what are we doing then? (laughs) Like, why are we working so hard if they're not gonna remember? But then I remember the professor said, look, you preach 10 years at a church, they're probably not going to remember most of your sermons, but they will remember what you were passionate about. You preach 10 years in a church, and you go. They will be left behind with what you were passionate about. If you were passionate about missions, if you were passionate about teaching the word, that you will sear into their hearts. So be passionate about Christ. It's like pushing an iron onto a child's arm over and over again. If it's a cold iron, you do it enough times, 52 weeks out of the year, you may leave a faint impression. But you heat that iron up, and you press it against them. You will leave a lasting impression. How many of you remember your parents? Maybe you don't remember anything they taught you about the Bible, but you remember your mom praying at the kitchen table. Whatever you are passionate about, they will remember. We need to regain our wonder of God. And we do that, brothers and sisters, we do that by going back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's where you'll find your wonder. If you haven't had wonder in 10, 15 years, you have to go back to the cross because there is your wonder for you to pick up again. I want to close by reminding you of this beautiful song that many of you know. Called The Wondrous Cross. As I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Every time I think about that song, I think about a Christian putting his hand over a wooden cross like this, just kind of feeling it, and slowly taking in the sacrifice of Christ. As I survey the Wondrous Cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss. And I pour contempt on all my pride. Where can you get words like that? It's the wonder of God as you survey the gospel again. That's what I love about that song. See from his hands, his head, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did ever such sorrow and love meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? Those are words of wonder, brothers and sisters. Those are words of wonder. That's what we need to recapture for our children again. Asaph says in Psalm 78, I will tell them about the glorious deeds, glorious deeds of my God. I'm just not going to bring them to church. I will restore my wonder and glory in who he is and sear them with a regained wonder and passion for the Lord Jesus Christ you will leave that behind in your kids. You will leave that behind in your kids. I see it as they come through into young adulthood in my church. I pray that we not only give them the truths of God, that we not only give them the foundations for them to be able to stand in this increasingly complex world, but that we regain the wonder that we can really leave behind for them so that they can love Jesus too. Let's pray before we go to the communion. Before we go to communion, I just want to give you a minute. Just to give you a minute, and maybe for some of you, it has been a while. And for moms and dads in particular, we worry about our kids all the time. Maybe one of the reasons you worry... It's because you've lost your wonder and awe of your Father. So I just want to give you a moment to reconnect with him, to go and pray. Survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. Let me give you a moment to pray before I bring you to the table.